0: Hey everybody, this is episode 121 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris recording this intro, actually from Boston, for a conversation that I had about three or four weeks ago with one Katie Visco, a runner who you probably don't know now, but you will get to meet through this podcast and who is, I believe, an inspiration and had a fascinating conversation with her about a journey that she's about to begin to try to run across Australia from north to south, about 2,100 miles. Katie has already run across the U.S. She did that 10 years ago on a solo adventure, one of the first women ever to run across the U.S. solo. And so we'll talk about that journey, as well as what has inspired her to run across Australia, how she's thinking about it, all the things that go in, in, they are going into her planning, and how you could support her on this journey if you would like. So we'll get to that in just a second, but I do think you'll be fascinated and inspired by Katie's story. Before we get to that, I wanted to give a quick note on how you can get access to the Running Rogue Podcast. I've been recently added to Spotify as well as to Stitcher. So if you source your podcasts, either of those ways, then now you can get access to the Running Road podcast through those outlets. I'll post the links to the Spotify and Stitcher feeds for the podcast in the show notes if for whatever reason you can't find them. But you can also find me via search now on those platforms. The one thing about Spotify that I think is cool and important is that if you have certain Garmin watches that allow you to to download and play music then you can now, via Spotify, listen to the Running Road podcast while only having your watch on you. Which is, I think, really, really cool. So, I don't know all the details about how that works, but that's, I've been told that that is possible. And so, that may be a way that you can get out on a run and listen to me without having to bring your phone along. So, check out that if you have a Garmin watch where you can download music and listen that way. So, that's exciting. Again, I'll put those links in the show notes so you can find it. Otherwise, I'm going to jump right in on this busy Boston Marathon weekend. I'm going to jump right into my conversation with Katie. Here we go. Welcome, Katie Visco, to the show. How are you doing today, Katie?
1: I'm awesome. I'm excited to be up here in this little treehouse pod.
0: <laughs> yes. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. If only the listeners could see it. We're surrounded by plywood and... and wood it's very low frills but exciting at the same time
1: and a computer with dust on it not much work gets done up here (laughs) right
0: but there's plenty of podcasting yeah so i wanted to jump right in with this question as i mentioned in the intro you're setting out on this journey to run across australia 2100 miles basically north to south across australia A lot of what we talk about on this show is purpose and knowing your why. So I want to start with the big question. Why the hell are you doing this?
1: I feel like I'm doing this trip for me. And I want there to be messaging around women and the planet. But first and foremost, it's taken me like I've been in the planning process for this trip for about six years. And I have battled with what is the point of this run? What big message, what big splash is it going to make? Like back 10 years ago, you know, like I, I, it was, I spoke with thousands literally of humans along the way and audiences about living a bold, impassioned life. But now there's going to be nobody, <clears throat> yeah. you know, nobody along the way. Can, it, can I validate my dreams, even though I won't be making a big splash and making a big difference in the world, in other people's lives? Like, can I validate myself? by following my dreams like it's enough to f- have curiosity. It's enough to want to do something for yourself. And that's, you know, actually the bigger message out of all this.
0: Okay. Well, I like that. You know, I was I was actually talking we have a friend of a friend, kind of of a friend, it's like three <laughs> layers of friendship <laughs> who's currently running across the US.
1: Who? Robbie. Robbie. It's Robbie. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And he's and a sweetheart. And I was, my wife and I were talking about that this weekend because we yeah. know the Stones, Jackie mm-hmm. and and um, Jamie Stone, who are helping support yeah. Robbie along his journey to cross the U.S. and as a part of that, share his message about plant-powered living. And part of me is jaded about these efforts because, and this is going to probably sound terrible, but ultimately it's a selfish pursuit and so which is to me completely fine like i don't need it for somebody to want to run across the us or across australia i don't need it to be more than selfish yeah for some reason i think our world needs it to be more than selfish Yeah. Yeah. and that frustrates me (laughs) because then i think it kind of puts people it causes people to kind of cloak their efforts in something that's more than selfish so that it doesn't seem selfish. And then to me, it becomes then a little bit disingenuous. Mm-hmm. And so I was ranting a little bit about that, not aimed at Robbie because, you know, I think what he's doing probably is born out of selfishness, but he has yes. a great message of part of that. That's great. But it's more of this frustration of that we as a society compel people to maybe add layers of reasons to things so that we can justify doing something that is entirely selfish. Mm -hmm. And for this, if it's selfish for you, that to me is awesome. Yeah. It's like check high five, Mm -hmm. you know, go figure it out. Mm -hmm. But then my next question is then why tell people, why not just go do it by yourself?
1: Gosh, Chris, you asked that question. Yeah. So that's the battle that I have internally is the reason it's taken me six years to get to this point of actually going to step the the starting line in four months is exactly that like I've battled with the fact that I want to do this for myself but is that enough like this is selfish I totally am so grateful you brought that up because I've thought about that for years like why does everything have to have a reason Right. Why does everything have to have a why? In fact, like, that's the question you open <laughs> up with. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And I talk about planet and women and that's important to me. But the real reason is because I'm me and I need to do something because I'm curious. So you just asked the question of, yeah. um, like, why tell people about it? Yeah. That to me is really complex. That's a great question. And it's super, I feel like I have a complex answer. So here I'm gonna, I'm Let's gonna dig into try it. to yeah. tell you what I think. Okay. The reason why I feel like I need to say something about it, I think, is just at this point I've just come to terms with the fact that it's in my bones. Like, why do we want to share pictures of our joys with our family? Like, why do we want to call our husbands and tell them about this awesome breakfast taco we ate? Like, it could range from <laughs> to seeing a sunrise and a sunset to having an amazing meal to To anything that we experience joy in, like it's life is meant to be shared. I strongly believe that. And I just I just to answer your question, I don't have any other reason besides like it's in our bones as humans to share life with one another. Yeah. So that's like maybe a bigger answer to your complex question.
0: (gasps) Yeah, why do we share anything? Why
1: do we share anything?
0: Why do we share our workouts? Why (laughs) do we share As you said, the sunset on our on our gram oh,
1: because the gram. yeah
0: sort of like I was thinking about I listened to you on another podcast talking about this curiosity, you know, curiosity yeah. is enough, yeah, and it reminded me of George Mallory's quote, when asked mm-hmm. why he was trying to climb Everest, mm-hmm. and he ultimately died doing it, but what he said was because it's there yeah, right (laughs) Right? because it's there and this journey for you in some ways is because it's there
1: it's there it's one of those things that i've just dreamt about for so long and like it haunts me in a positive way yeah (laughs) like it's it's in the closet it's there it's never gonna go away until i just do it like yeah you're right exactly curiosity is enough
0: but how did it get there yeah. As you, so you said you've been thinking about this for a long time. Does this yeah. predate your thoughts about crossing the U.S. on 100%. foot? 100%. So yeah. it predates that. Yeah. It's Why? Crazy. Where did that come from? Where did that begin for you? Do you want to hear a funny story? Yes, I think this is please. really
1: funny. So, as a middle schooler, my best friend Brittany and I were obsessed with Heath, Heath Ledger. Okay. You know, the yeah. Australian actor yeah. who unfortunately passed. But we like The Joker. The Joker. Yeah. yeah so Heath ledger super talented super hot like he was so cute <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. granted you know we're middle schoolers you yeah know. and so he was the first poster i put up on my wall back then when i was a little girl and you know he's australian and so one day i vowed i would go to australia that's the short story because of heath ledger heath freaking ledger <laughs> i mean thank okay. you i so in college, you rest in peace. I know we actually had a s- like a funeral mass for him, me oh and my man. friends. Okay, yeah, I know. You can, so you, you know, wanted to we go were, to we Australia girls.
0: for Heath Ledger, but that's also very different than running across Australia.
1: Yeah, so here's the deal I go to Australia in junior year of college because I just wanted a break from college. So I go and I have this adventure as a solo woman, the first time ever I've been off alone, and I just go and get a job and get a place to live three months so i mean in it's sydney australia and it's the first time i feel like so alive and free yeah but australia like captured my heart and i learned about the deserts when i was there i learned about a little bit of the history of that country and like what's it like what's the outback oh my gosh there's this arib- uh, aboriginal culture of the walkabout like i don't want to take somebody else's culture and put it on myself thinking that i can experience what they experience but there's this concept of the walkabout where I think it's a young man in Aboriginal culture goes off into the desert and finds himself, basically, and can only come back when he's a man. That, to me, captured me when I was in Australia, and I love that notion. And in a sense, like, the original title for this run, for my run across Australia, was called Runabout. But, but after conversations, I didn't want to appropriate somebody else's really spiritual... Uh, you know tradition i'm not of that culture so why am i thinking about why am i going to do australia because of that like i'm going out there to have a spiritual experience for myself and come back a more learned grown matured real katie visco
0: so earlier you briefly mentioned a couple of other reasons beyond those personal reasons that you're doing this one being sending a message to women another being the planet this is a totally human powered expedition you running your husband on the bike why is that and what are those other messages
1: so the reason we're doing that is because this planet needs our attention and we don't want to use a vehicle to do this even though it would be so much easier and so much in a sense like safer or less risky so The environment is really important to me and my husband, and we want to live that value by doing this run with bicycle support. So there's that, their environment, the planet. And then secondly, a personal reason as to why I'm going to do this is the women concept. And you might hear it a lot, but I'm going to go do something big and bold in the outdoors. And what I want to say to women is that, hey. There is a gap here between men and women. And I'm not saying that, you know, women should be like men. I'm just saying that there's a gap. And why is there a gap in terms of people going out and doing great, exciting, adventuresome things in the outdoors? Why do you see more men taking on FKTs? Why do you see less women doing those kinds of things? And I think there's a confidence piece missing. And so I am here telling you that I am freaking flipping scared to run across Australia. Yeah, sure, people say that there's snakes and things and (laughs) it's the deadliest country out there and we're going through basically three deserts and not running into any human beings for four months. Uh, So yeah, I definitely have some fears, but I wanted to do this for so long and what am I supposed to do besides do it? So, yeah, I have fears, but also I have to have some confidence and I have to have some courage and bravery to do this. And I want to be an example for women to get out there and push your limits in the outdoors. Let's close this confidence gap and just go and try. So women and the planet. Those are the things.
0: So wouldn't I mean, confidence makes sense. Wouldn't there also be some safety element of this? I mean, I would imagine that. That women might be more hesitant to go out and do solo adventures, especially because they're just afraid of what could happen to them.
1: Yeah. I don't know where that comes from. I I truly don't know where that comes from. Like, we could break that down, Chris. Like, why would women be more scared to go and do things outside? I have no idea. Like, yeah, sure, we get periods and that's messy, but. Uh,
0: are women also more likely to be attacked assaulted (laughs) taken (laughs) advantage of yeah i mean those things are real right
1: yeah obviously so with that you know i have to say that that was one of the most frequent questions that i got when i ran across america 10 years ago is like did you ever feel unsafe like i was 23 years old running mostly solo across the country like seeing my van every five miles and not once did i feel unsafe and so there's yes, you're right. As a woman solo, sure. There's more of a likelihood to have those kinds of experiences that are not that positive. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, like we need to remember that we can take precautions and we can believe that we are safe because of our preparation. Like what would you do if you had an experience like that? We've we've got to think about it and be prepared but not be scared to do something anyway. Under the right circumstances, like I'm not going to go run across a country where there's definitely, uh, you know, a lot of those kinds of encounters. Right. Women don't have the kind of freedom that we do here in America or or even in Australia.
0: So, for context, you were the second youngest female to run across the U.S. and the 13th overall to do so back in 2009, when you were 23 years of age you said you never felt unsafe Were there. Yeah. But w- wouldn't there have been sketchy weather situations or mm. maybe periods where you ran out of water and didn't mm. know where your next drink was going to come from? Did you have any of those types of situations happen running yeah. across the U.S.? Yeah,
1: for sure. You know, like the weather thing wasn't too much of an issue because that I felt like I could push through like the hail, the sleet, like that kind of stuff sucked. But it kind of made it funny. And enjoyable because it was just humorous. like. Yeah. But, you know, there's other times there's things out of your control like dogs chasing you and that was the one time that I felt the most unsafe is when just kind of just wildish dogs following me for miles and yeah. just kind of being really afraid of that. But I picked up a rock and just had to keep going. But yeah, there's things like that where I did feel unsafe. I think that frequent question that I got, I really do feel like people were referencing other humans like did you ever feel unsafe parentheses as a young woman alone by you know attacks from other people right or oddities from other people that no that's good yeah
0: a win for the U.S. yeah USA. <laughs> USA but you did say and I've heard you yeah, talk okay. about how much positivity and how much people helped and connected with you during that journey. So that must have been reassuring in a lot of ways when you did it across the U.S. the first time.
1: Absolutely. You know, like there's definitely one thing to combat fear because we're kind of talking about fear right now. You know, Yeah. one way to combat fear, like I mentioned, is preparation, like practice, practice, practice. And the other way to combat fear based on my own experience and what I believe is to have The other end of the spectrum type of experiences and that's what happened when I ran America 10 years ago like every almost every single night we broke bread with strangers like we stayed in their homes never met these people before and they told us about their lives their fears their goals their passions like what was going on in their lives and so to combat fear like let's go and see the true nature of human beings and that's love so Along that journey, like so much, I saw so much love, 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 support, care, which makes me better able to prepare and embolden myself against things that I might be fearful of.
0: In Australia, you're not going to see as many people, though. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, we're not. So, so I guess what, there's not really so that much
0: of an issue. It's going to be a, the opposite equation, right? Where you are going to yeah. be in desert and desolation and yeah. isolation. Yeah. So contrast those two things <laughs> as you think about it. Obviously, you don't yet you don't yet know what that'll be like in Australia, but you, you can imagine. Mm-hmm. So why? Why the difference there? What, what makes that difference so compelling to you?
1: Oh, my gosh. So that's where we get into, like, the soul-searching piece as a human bi- being. Like, me as an individual, the reason the desolation appeals to me is because... Exactly. Can I keep talking through the train? Yeah. Okay. There's a train.
0: The listeners love the train. <laughs> they choo-choo! know it. Okay, good. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. The reason for the desolation is because of my personal journey as a young woman still and like going through these last 33 years of my life, like I want to confront myself. I want to know what I am made of. And when I take out all distractions and go to the, one of the most barren desolate places on earth in a safe manner, you know, like when I do that, I want to know what comes up for me. Like that's another element of courage is like, I don't want to be blind to myself. I am a woman pushing my limits in the outdoors, and I also am a soul soul seeker, you know? Like, I want to grow as an individual, and so I'm going to use my running and my love for running and traveling in order to kind of deepen with myself. And so the desolation is just an empty space, and we don't need to be scared of those empty spaces. Like, that's where some of the magic happens. So personally, that's why I want to go to Australia, because of the nothingness there.
0: Which, to me, would imply that there are some demons that you're trying to go battle. Yeah, I know. Right? Oh, I'm are a cracked human <laughs> being. <laughs> are, there certain, are there certain demons you're trying to battle? or Sure. Or not?
1: Yeah. Definitely. There's one that I can articulate to you that okay. I've thought about many years, um, in my 20s and now, is the notion of enoughness. So, this enoughness piece, like, I was raised... in in a really great home, you know, with lots of love. However, at the same time, there was some conditioning in my experiences that led me to to believe that I had to change the world. I had to do big, great things. And I'm not saying this was the messaging from my parents. I'm just saying that I was brought up in so much support. Like, you can do anything you want to do. But let me ask you this, like, when the world is your oyster, when you have so much potential when you have endless options where when is it ever enough when do you know that you've like made it and reached it and like made enough of a difference and so I kind of forget your question right never. now. never
0: <laughs> never what de- well you were talking demons. about the demon slaying and, demon and being slaying. enough is one of those demons yeah. so you've done these big things but you're still asking yourself have I done enough
1: yeah Exactly.
0: Now, as we mentioned, you're not doing this alone. No, I'm Henley, not. Henley, your husband will be <laughs> with you on bike. So, is there something about doing this together too?
1: Yeah. Hi, Henley. <laughs> <laughs> so, the reason we're doing this together is simply because of the fact that we both love adventure. Like, call it adventure, call it just traveling by human power in the out of doors from point A to B. Like, I don't know what exactly that's kind of that thing is called but like multi-day human powered adventures and that's how we met that's how we fell in love. expeditions expeditions yeah yeah and the reason we're doing this together is simply because we dream like that we both have similar types of dreams in terms of our travels and adventures so
0: i mean it's as i was thinking about this you're going to be running 30 miles a day for four months Across Australia, 2,100 miles. He's going to be biking 400 pounds of stuff, yeah. provisions, theoretically with you, next to you, in front of you, or near you, for that same period of time. In my head, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know which is harder. <laughs> 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 because I'll tell in you. some ways, it feels like the bike could be harder, especially considering some of the p- pavement or lack thereof that you'll be crossing. Yeah. on on this expedition. So it seems like he's in for a real challenge too.
1: Yeah, he is. Okay. So I'll tell you now. Okay. And he knows this, but I'll tell you, I on a hundred percent believe that his job is harder than mine. <laughs> and like, we different, we have different perspectives, but Henley, my dear, I don't know what if you, you know what you're up to, like, <laughs> y- like you're right. The tracks in Australia, like we're expecting more than 50% being unpaved. Right. And so if we're thinking like sand and dirt, 400 pounds on a bicycle, like, honey, I know you can do it. I know he can do it, but I think it's a harder endeavor. I really yeah. do. Like, that's crazy. Like yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I've seen... Well, not crazy. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I've seen impressive. these crazy shows where somebody gets their, their SUV stuck on some sandy road in the Outback and can't get mm-hmm. it out and then they get stuck and have to go find help. I've seen these things, right? So yeah. I'm thinking about the type of terrain you're going to be on. There's going to it's going to be difficult. Yeah. With that kind of weight to get through some of the sandy terrain you're going to be you're going to be crossing. So yeah, yeah. Henley. This is going to be tough, dude. Yeah.
1: I wish you were here, Henley. You could talk <laughs> about all of it.
0: So which brings me to my my next question as I <laughs> think about Henley's first what What would have been his first expedition, as I was reading, you know, his first attempt at an expedition was to bike across Central and South (laughs) America on a bike. Yeah. Which apparently only lasted three weeks because he got his bike stolen. <laughs> so what? What are you guys doing to protect this machine, <laughs> the steed that he'll be on, so he doesn't have the same thing happen?
1: Yeah, that's a great well, question because we haven't <laughs> talked about that yet. Like, how in the how are we going to lock up four hundred pounds of our gear? Like, yeah. But at the same time, we expect to be camping in what Australians would call the bush, so. You know, there's going to be people out there. We just might not see them or there might not be settlements or towns or cities. So we don't know. I don't have an answer for that. We're going to be sleeping and camping out yep. right next to our stuff. But that's a good one. Maybe we should bring a lock.
0: Theoretically, he was doing the same, right?
1: Yeah. The- yeah. Good <laughs> point. You know, Henley's had seven bikes stolen.
0: So so his track record is that good, <laughs> which means you should probably plan for this in some way. <laughs> At least throw a, throw a lock between the, the front or yeah. the back tire and the, and the frame of this thing so yeah. somebody can't just wheel it away. Henley, put that on your things, <laughs> list of things
1: to do. Lock for bike.
0: So, on that note, let's talk about preparation. Sure. You said you've been preparing for this for six years. What does that look like? Oof.
1: So, it was six years ago that I decided I wanted to do this. And that was when I first accepted the fact that this is a desire and I need to do it. And that took a while to be okay with like I'm going to go do something big again and it's risky but I need to do this. So that's when I made the decision to do it and I'll be completely frank with you is that <clears throat> I went through the whole process, you know, sponsors, everything, planning and I I think at that point I fractured my heel. Uh it was an injury. I couldn't run through it. It was devastating. Yeah. But the dream doesn't die. Right. And so I tried it again. And I injured my knee. (laughs) Oh, no. So here's the deal is like, I can't not tell you that that's the truth. But the point is, is that it's strong enough in me that I got to do it again, even though, you know, injury is possible. But I got to do it. I got to try again. And I'm doing really well and focusing on strength. Yeah. And yoga to kind of preserve my body as I train with high mileage.
0: Are you how are you planning your route? Yeah. Are you looking at Google Earth and mapping this thing day by day? Do you have a binder somewhere that has every day's path on it? Or is it sort of more freeform than that?
1: Sure. So Henley's in charge of the route. And I will tell you what I've observed him doing. I've kind of asked <laughs> delegated him. delegated this. Yeah, he okay. is 100%. I've asked him not really to share much with me okay. until kind of now. So this is what I know. There's great tech- technologies out there. One is Gaia, one is Kamut, and we're looking at Google Earth. Yeah. So we're mapping on Kamut, transferring the GPS files over to Gaia, and basically looking at Google Earth to see if this town that is on the map is actually is a town or just a cattle hole yeah. filled with water. They're, they're cattle stations, like yeah. big water tubs. So most of the towns that we see on the map are just like... Basically, tubs of water or cattle stations. Yeah. Um, so Henley's basically, mm, what's the word? Confirming on Google Earth some of the things we see on those commutes Komoot and Gaia. So we're planning it that way. Um, but of course, first and foremost, it's the weather. Um, Northern Australia has the wet, which is yeah. total rain downpours during I think three to four months of its of the year. So we're not going during that time. And really the time we're going, July through November, is like the only time to go through the, like the middle of this country because otherwise it's just so hot.
0: Yeah. This yeah. is winter. Yeah, it would be winter in Australia. Yeah. 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 Well, what, does that, what does that mean for the temperatures that you'll be facing?
1: So actually we've we got a lot of news stories in over the past few months about Australia having the hottest um, on record summer in history. And I think some of those temperatures were... Like 110, 120 um, fires, just really bad drought. Not good. So I don't know if that's global warming. I don't know what's going on there, but it's it's hotter than Texas. It's hotter than Austin, Texas is what it looks like. Yeah.
0: But it'll also be cold at night too, right? Yeah. So you have to prepare for both extremes, I would assume.
1: It won't be too cold apparently when we're going like in the high 40s. Okay, well, but like,
0: I mean, but if you're sleeping out in the bush, True. That's pretty cold. <laughs> yeah, it's it's chilly. It's not chilly.
1: terribly too cold though.
0: Yeah. So what else will you be putting on this bike? Yeah. So how will you be sleeping? Will you have a tent or will yeah. you be just bring sleeping bags? Like what's the plan there?
1: I'm gonna envision this bike right now. So okay. uh Surly, if you're listening, we need one of your trailers. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to give us one of your trailers, Um, but anyway, we're gonna have a trailer. Hopefully, this early Ted trailer. It's just like a a heavy-duty trailer that can carry up to three hundred pounds. Okay. So we'll have these blueies, like big water, plastic water tanks. Yep. That we will put like three to four of those on the trailer bed, and then tubs of food, and then yes, we will have a tent. We have a two-person tent and. We will have sleeping bags. And then other than that, it's really, it's really food and water. Yeah. So I will give you guys some perspective. Is like There's about 300 on average, well, 250 on average miles between services. And we're talking water and food. Food is less frequent than water. And so what we will have to do is ship kind of like as if you were through hiking, the AT or PCT, whatever, ship food boxes to, like, six different locations along our route so that we can, you know, confirm that we will have food. Otherwise, it'll be, you know, many hundreds of miles between services. Yeah. So we got to do that.
0: So, but that's close to potentially 10 days between water stations.
1: Yeah, that's actually what we're planning for is about 10 days worth of food and water for two people on this bike. That's gonna be the max that we'll have to carry. Which Typically is, it'll be about how much? seven. How much water a day is that per uh, person? That's a good I wish I had my calculator, but I think we're going for fifteen liters of water between the two of us. So seven and a half liters per person per day. And that includes brushing teeth, cooking, drinking for sure. Yeah. Everything you might need water for. So do the math like 15 times 10 days times however many pounds per liter of water. So, it's it's, uh, mostly water weight.
0: Yeah. And then what do you plan to eat? (laughs) I was reading about Colin. Colin, Colin, (laughs) (laughs) The guy who crossed Australia, and he had (laughs) these food mashed up food bricks created, basically. And he was munching on like seven or eight of these a day. And they were just... This conglomeration of basically fluids that didn't inflame his his stomach according to his own huh. tests on that. And and that's what he ate most of. It's just these food bricks. Pretty I gotta, nuts.
1: I've got to look into that because that's a great idea. Yeah. He made them?
0: He didn't make them. He had a company make them. What? You can look it all up. I oh. don't know the name of the company off the top of my head, but they basically made them for him after doing all this testing on him. And So he was just carrying these bricks of
1: oh my god of amalgam
0: amalgamated food that hmm. I guess had a a slight chocolate flavor but only <laughs> slight so that he didn't go s- he didn't, oh he didn't get so sick of it that he couldn't stomach them after wow. 50 plus days <gasps> So you,
1: you might have just dropped a major <laughs> helpful bomb right here yeah, like I've been well, trying to figure out, out. Yeah cuz what was For your bricks. plan otherwise the plan otherwise is I'm just expecting like every 300 miles to be able to get tuna and ramen. Tuna
0: like, and ramen. So like camp, camp
1: food style. Yeah. Yeah. But the most important pieces of my diet that I know I can control are electrolytes and protein powder. And those are the two things I'm planning to bring and have endless supply. Well, not endless but uh, like energy bars, protein powder, and electrolytes. That's what I know I need and we're going to somehow like Include that in every shipment that we ship along our route. And so just lots have of at all salt? Times. Salt, yeah, just electrolytes, protein powder, energy bars. How mm. many
0: calories do you think you need?
1: So I am, I am working w- with a nutritionist. Her name's Dina. She's called the Nutrition Mechanic. And she's helping me a lot in terms of figuring out how much of each macro I need, like protein... Even electrolytes, yep. fats, and calories, I haven't quite gotten to the number that I need. It's going to be more than 3,000, but I think it'll be way more than 3,000. I'm not sure yet, to be honest.
0: Well, the, this guy, Colin O'Brady, you should look it up. I'll yeah. send you the article. Yeah, please. Uh, Alex Hutchinson wrote it on Sweat Science, talking about his nutrition huh. plan for this trek across Antarctica. And he was getting... Or planning for somewhere between seven and 8,000 calories a day. Skiing across Antarctica unsupported. So he was towing a massive sled with him. So theoretically, and he's a guy. So his calorie needs are are more. Bigger body mass human to feed and to power. Plus he's towing his own stuff. Plus he's cold. So he needs body heat to basically help. You know, he's burning calories to create body heat to help stay warm. So you would think that would be the extreme example of what you would need Yeah, gosh, <laughs> to do this. <laughs> so something less than that, but more than twenty five hundred probably. Oh, more than three thousand, <laughs> but less than what Colin <laughs> yeah, did. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I got
1: to read nuts. that article.
0: Yeah, you should. But it do, but it is, it is interesting because as I think about it, I'm like, man, I would just, I would be most concerned about getting sick and tired of eating whatever I was yeah. planning to bring.
1: I kind of feel like that's just an expectation. And if I accept it, like even like through hikers, you know, you know, you're going to be eating a lot of the same food and just, you, you just have to accept that. I feel like, so I'm accepting the fact that food is not going to be the most exciting thing for yep. four months, Yeah, but it's got to go in.
0: What about safety? Mm-hmm. How are you guys planning that? you know are you because again i 've seen these horror stories of people getting lost or stranded in the outback, and it's it 's not good when that happens, yeah, so how are you planning to stay safe? you bring in a satellite phone, some kind of device you can communicate if something yeah. does happen that 's bad
1: yeah, so safety, I can think of two main elements one is there's the notion of animals so a lot of people bring that up just like all the things you can kill that can kill you and then secondly which would just, be what which would be what okay. in the outback what so, c-
0: what c- what could kill you i know right you you don't want to like get in a tuft with a kangaroo but they're probably not going to kill you
1: right so there are way more dangerous r- animals in america like if you think about the the size of animals that we have here like grizzly bears and mammals like that, there are no mammals that are dangerous to humans in the outback. Okay. Or in Australia. This is this is coming from Henley's research, which yep. he's he's in charge of this. And then, you know, we also got, like, everybody says, oh, man, Australia, like, there's the most, did you know that there's the most number of poisonous animals, snakes. poisonous, you know, things <laughs> that can kill you there? Yeah. And it, I'm telling you, every, probably 90% of people say that to us. And so... In the back of my head, I go, like, do you know that? <laughs> right. And so right. We, we went and we did some research a few days ago and actually looked per capita the number of hospitalizations, deaths, anything having to do with major, major, you know, seriousness uh, to snakes, poisonous things in Australia, and there is more of a percentage per capita in America, than it is, yep. than, than what happens there. And so, you know, there's this concept of, okay, we're not going to brush that off. Like, there are snakes there, there are scorpions, there are right. things. But also, there's this notion of, like, we sense that a lot of people ask us this and say these things to us because maybe that's just because Australia is marketed in it's that a way. Place. Like, it's rugged, it's dangerous, it's poisonous, it's nothing. It's, but, at the same time, like, maybe it's also the fear of the unknown, like, things that are different, that we know nothing about, we might fear more. So, we're just trying to take those things with a grain of salt, but also do our research. Like, look at the numbers. And Henley will be really proud of me when I say this, but snake bite kits don't ever buy one. They oh, do really? nothing. Like, really? In all the wilderness first aid classes he's taken, all the instructors say that they're a bunch of BS. Like so,
0: so then what do you do if you get bit by a snake? Oh, You're yeah, you want to talk about this? Yeah, let's talk so about it.
1: So Henley taught me. This is what you do.
0: You don't suck out the venom. I know that's oh, that's a bad no. thing.
1: Don't wash the area in which you get bit. Because if you need an anti-venom and you get to the hospital, all, anti-venom, all anti-venoms are particular to the type of venomum, venom right. <laughs> that gets like bitten into you by the snake. And so don't wash the area so they can swab it when you get to the hospital
0: figure out what kind of venom it is yeah
1: Yeah. they need to swab the damn thing yeah and so then what you do is you get bit don't do anything except for ace bandage it like just compression bandage because you want to slow the blood flow yeah because it's going to take hours for the venom to get to your major organs and vitals so you just want to slow the blood flow and then as if you broke your arm you want to sling it or you want to immobilize the limb so that is all you can do and then just get to the hospital as soon as you can so they can give you an anti-venom yeah and and pray if you pray
0: so how do you get to the hospital if you're in the middle of the outback
1: so our plan is to have a spot device what's a spot device a spot device is a gps signaled or gps set i don't really know the the tech but it's a device (laughs) that has a sos button where it tracks you all the time because it's based on gps coordinates um but if you have an emergency, you press the SOS button and the local rescue will come to your aid and rescue you. A lot of people we know use this. They're, it's a very popular device that people take on multi-day excursions, even yep. through hikers, um, doing popular trails. Like We will have that device with us. Yeah. I ain't going without Do you without have it. to charge it? we do
0: (laughs) how do you plan for that
1: like thank goodness Australia has a lot of sun because I think Uh, solar yeah I think our plan a is to get at least some kind of small solar panel but also a couple of external batteries that we can charge via solar when we're out there especially for those long stretches so external batteries we're trying not to bring that much tech because it all takes charge
0: Do you need, will you have a flashlight and all those things?
1: Yeah, we'll have headlamps. Headlamps. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. bring
0: in some spare batteries for that.
1: Yeah, I suppose so. We need some batteries (laughs) for that. Those will last a while. Yeah? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay, so what are we missing? Are we missing anything on this weighted (laughs) trailer?
1: (laughs) Oh, on on the bike? Yeah. Well what kind gonna, of bike is it? Gonna, so Henley has the bike. It's one of it's the only one that hasn't been stolen. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's yet. the Surly Troll. And okay. it's it's a great bike. We took it across Spain and he's ridden it for a couple of years now. So we're just it's a bur it's like a burly, it's a heavyweight. Yeah. You know, not heavyweight, but it can take the load. And we're gonna put some like custom made rock bike packing bags in the frame up top um, and then attach the trailer and the trailer is going to have most of it we'll attach water bottles and water to the bike frame the bike fork what else is on this bike trailer some clothes maybe a rolly stick for your muscles (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) Got to roll, roll out. Got to roll out. I know. <laughs> he'll Maybe need it. He'll, he'll need it for sure. <laughs> uh, so let's uh. talk about training. Yeah. So yeah, how do you prepare that. to run 30 miles a day for four months?
1: Yeah. So the thing that I've taken away from my experience in training for these kinds of things is just, and like anything, like when you do a race, you know, you've got to study what you're going to do. What's your end goal? Your end goal, or I'll talk about me. My end goal is to be able to have enough endurance to cover a total of 30 miles a day, no matter how I do it. Right. Um, obviously, it's going to be running or some walking in there. But so I work backwards. What I'm doing now is not necessarily doing anything fast, like just practicing going at a slower pace than I normally do and covering my mo- total miles that are planned for me in a given day so that might mean eight miles in the morning seven miles in the evening or in the p.m. um but I'm training backwards in a sense like I need to know that I can cover a certain number of miles per day and do it over and over and over again so like Thursday through Sunday for example is when I do most of my miles to practice stopping starting stopping starting over a period of four days yeah consecutive then, days yeah, going longer yeah yeah
0: how many miles does that mean you're running a day and or yeah. per week
1: sure so for example like i'm about 50 miles this week and so um running five days a week so a couple of those days or one of those days is about 10 miles and the others are anywhere from 12 to 15 and those 15 milers like it behooves me not to go and run at 15 miles at one time yeah like I shouldn't do that. Actually, I should chunk that up into two two runs. Like when I have fifteen miles to do this Sunday, like seven in the morning, eight in in the in the afternoon.
0: But that's not very much
1: in a day. In no, a day, no. when you,
0: especially when you think about running one hundred and fifty. Well, no more than that. Two hundred and ten yeah. miles a week.
1: It's not much. However, so
0: what? How how's that? How do you get from there to two hundred and ten miles a week?
1: <laughs> Faith. <laughs> 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 no, I'm kidding. There's more <laughs> preparation, like, I'm at 50 miles now, but I'm going to peak at 100 miles. Okay. And I know that's still two-thirds of what I'm going to do in Australia, but, you know, the mind is going to take over after that. Like, I just have to prepare to the best of my ability without breaking my body before even starting yeah. the Australia run. And so it's, um,
0: it's March now, as we record this, yeah. you're preparing to start in July, mm-hmm. mid-July, so we're, you've got four months.
1: Yeah, I have four months and in about two and a half months, I'll peak at 100 miles per week and then slowly taper down to like 60 before starting the 150 miles a week trek.
0: 150 miles a week. So you're not going to run every day?
1: I'm not. I'm planning to do about six days a week. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I guess that would be maybe a little less than 30 a day.
0: So what do you do on the off day when you're in the middle of the desert?
1: It's a good point. (laughs) Like, I think we're just going to have to... Prioritize the rest. That that really is a good point. That's a topic of conversation. Henley and I still haven't really figured out. Like, do we plan the rest days so that we're somewhere near a tree? Yeah, (laughs) somewhere when you do it.
0: (laughs) Because yeah, that could be fascinating.
1: Or you know, at the very least, like we know that we need to be prepared to pop a shade tarp and a tent and like make do with resting out in nowheresness. Nowhereness.
0: What. I'm sure when you're thinking about this, you've got to be imagining crazy stuff. Yeah. Like what? Would, like mm. What's the craziest thing you've imagined happening to you out there?
1: Oh, um, crazy as in exciting.
0: Either way. Okay. Either way.
1: I would love to meet an Aboriginal person living off the land. Yeah. Like I, that would be really, really fascinating and a gift. Like, to be able to meet somebody who truly knows how to live out there. Right. I I don't, like, maybe I'm, you know, a dreamer to think that that still exists. I mean, I think it does. But I would just love to meet a true local. And fingers crossed that would do. I think that would be wild and exciting and call it crazy, but just really interesting.
0: It seems like you've got a shot for that. <laughs> maybe so. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I so mean we're
1: going to go right skirt the boundary of some aboriginal lands, but um other than that, like we're going to be all on public land technically. Okay. But I really do hope that I think I think there's going to be a higher chance of maybe meeting yeah. anybody who lives out.
0: What <laughs> about crazy scary? Have you thought about oh, those scenarios?
1: Yeah, yeah, I have. Um I've thought about the bike not being able to do it. Like the bike getting stuck in. To be honest,
0: that would be my biggest worry. Yeah, like I mean, as I think about thing. it here, I'm like, that to me is the biggest risk. Like, mm-hmm. can the bike make it through some of that terrain? And yeah. if it can't, then what do you do? Yeah, I because you've got 400 pounds of stuff. You can't just throw it on your back and keep going.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't. God, I wish henley was here. But yeah, I don't really know. Yeah. Um. There's the SOS button. If the bike seriously just. If we're in the middle of nowhere and we just can't get it to move and or like Henley's super determined, like he will push that bike. (laughs) Um, If it's Sandy, like he might just have to really puck it. Yeah. But who knows if he can push a 400 pound bicycle? I don't know. So these are these are definitely unknowns right now. Big time.
0: What's the craziest thing that happened to you when you were crossing the u s besides a dog Ooh. a dog chasing you?
1: Crazy as in I never would have expected it, yeah, sure. I'll answer it that way so th- a lot of a lot of things um like the types of people who took us in like a uh, one couple I can remember in Kansas just seemed like they were kind of off their rocker uh, a little bit <laughs> or just i don't want to say crazy but maybe just a little something off yeah but there was this element of care and trust that we that we chose to have with them and we slept up in their attic during a <laughs> tornado warning and oh wow like it was just a really bizarre experience to be like okay my hands are or my life is in kind of in the hands of these people who are a little off but at the same time, like we're just choosing to trust and hope for the best. Um, and then like on a on a more joyful note, like, I was very surprised one time this woman just drove out. I didn't know who the heck she was. She just heard about my run and my route and that I was kind of near her town. She drove out and gave me a plate of cookies.
0: That's awesome. Just
1: like things like things yeah. like that. um. And just the random people who would show up along the route, like, a lot of people just showed up. Yeah. I don't know how it worked, and looking back on it, it's pretty fantastic. Like, there was not social media back then, really. Right. So, I mean, people just showed up, and I think that was some of the most yeah. interesting experiences. What
0: was the hardest thing about that first journey?
1: Mm, and I think that's part of... The hardest part of that first journey yeah. was part of the thing that gives me a little like i know i'm in for a real challenge this time around in australia because the hardest part back then was when we went through desolate places <laughs> uh, Interesting. like new mexico was really hard mentally and like emotionally because it was a couple of weeks of not connecting with humans yeah. um in the way in which i had been all those nine months i was crossing america like there was no no real like no schools really to connect with to speak or hard to find host families and just kind of desolate. And so I acknowledge that. Um going into Australia the whole thing is going to be like that is what I'm expecting and that's part of why like I want to go and confront myself is like that's going to be really really hard for me cuz I knew it was really hard back then. Yeah. The hardest part.
0: Well, right. And I you know, like I st- we talked before, I don't, I don't know you that well, but I know you enough to know you're a people person. And yeah. you are like, like connecting people. Yeah, like people. So it is odd that you've chosen this challenge that will disconnect you from them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. We can get really deep on that. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Your it's podcast is pretty deep. It's got to be frightening. It's
0: got to be frightening, right? Yeah. Is that the scariest part? Being alone?
1: Um, okay. So it was the scariest part. But I know I've I, I've accepted the fact that that's kind of the reason why I'm doing this and I have to embrace it and I have to like just give it a big hug because that's part of part of the point that I'm trying to get across is like you just sometimes I just I just got to do something that scares me in a safe way. But yeah, like getting deep on that concept of I forget the question. What was the question?
0: Is it scary to do this alone?
1: Yeah. Um. It's not scary to do this alone. It really isn't because of the whole point. And the whole point is to do something that scares me so that, well, I guess I'll rephrase it by saying there's this concept of like the outside edge that I don't know where it came from, but I just have those two words in my brain and I want to go to that edge. Like I want to go to my own outside edge. And putting myself in things and situations that are hard, but not terribly unsafe, just hard, in the out of doors is a way for me to get there. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast, like it's not really scary to me right now to go into a desolate place and do this alone. Because a, like I do have somebody with me, but most importantly, like I need to go to that empty space. I need to go to that, s- that space in which I'm scared. And I I honestly think that I I would encourage a lot of you listening, like a lot of people out there to go to that space, to go to that space where there's nothingness, however it may look for you. Like have a day where you don't look at your computer. That, that, That might be a nothingness. Like what happens there? What creativity comes out of that? What curiosities come out of that? What challenges? What mental spaces do you go to? Who are you in that moment?
0: Are you putting, what are you putting on hold to do this? Well, oh man because i think about that it's like yeah most of the time i think people won't do things because they have something else that well yeah. I have to or I, d- I just do this first or yeah. i can't train for that goal because i've got to whatever have a kid first or yeah. whatever maybe there's always something that's in the way or my job won't let me or mm-hmm. so what are you what are you pausing? to do
1: this so i actually i really like that question because it makes me think about it makes me think more about that because i know i've thought about it before but at the same time like i actually don't feel like personally i'm pausing anything because it's almost the opposite and what i mean by that is if i don't do this run something i've wanted to do for for a long time if i don't do it now then i feel like i'm putting things on pause then i feel like oh well I'm giving up this run across Australia if I don't do it and that's something really powerful I mean that's something really meaningful to specifically ask your question or answer your question about what am I pausing between the two of us Henley and I like he's pausing going to graduate school potentially I'm I'm talking kind of in in terms that maybe a lot of listeners might understand because or can relate to like and I'm pausing my business like I'm an entrepreneur and I have a soup company here in Austin It's called hot love soup and it's a soup delivery company and then I also started it in Montana in Missoula Montana where I spend most of my time now and like that's gonna have to be on pause and I'm gonna have to find a partner to take over the business while I go it's cumbersome it's really cumbersome but at the same time like if I don't do this Australia run that's that's the loss there i think those those like still small voices are really important to listen to
0: well i think it's interesting that you framed it as <laughs> you framed it as pausing the goal or the adventure mm-hmm. instead of the other way around yeah you know it's like i asked the question what are you pausing to do this you say, well really i think of it as if i don't do this i'm pausing my goal my adventure the yeah. thing i've been dreaming about for six years who cares about the other things
1: yeah I care about the other things, but it's just a matter of priorities and like, what is what is my heart really saying? And it's it's the adventure. Um, hopefully we'll be we're being responsible about the other aspects of our life in the meantime and while we're gone. But this is this is just, I guess it's just the, the way Henley and I think. Like we really need to prioritize the things that that really may mean a lot to us and these kinds of adventures and travels and explorations happen to be those things but it doesn't matter it's like whatever it is that keeps you up at night so to speak whatever that is like do you want to start your own business do you want to travel to italy do you want to get a dog like whatever it is i think those things are the meaning meaningful things in our short lives
0: (laughs) why not now exactly you know it's funny i was I was having a, um, I don't have a similar crazy adventure plan, but I was having a similar thought process about a trip I've been planning for a year to go to France this summer because the Women's World Cup is in France. I'm a huge soccer fan. I'm a huge women's soccer fan. (laughs) And... When my son was six, I took him to the final of the last Women's World Cup in Vancouver. The U.S. won. They beat Japan. It was an amazing victory. Yeah. I'm just a huge super fan of the sport. Every time the U.S. Women's National Team plays, I'm watching it. I'm getting my kids to watch it. And this summer, the next World Cup for women is in France. And I've been planning and talking about it for a year. I actually bought tickets to oh. the semifinals and finals at basically a year before the events because they're, by the way, ridiculously cheap, which is, I can get off on another rant as to why the (laughs) governing bodies undervalue women's sports, but that's a different podcast. But planning to bring our kids, we have three, so that they can experience that, because I want them to dream, know that they can dream big. Also, my daughter's six, and I'm trying Mm. to get her to play soccer. So this is another (laughs) secret way to get her potentially interested in the sport. (laughs) but as i was preparing that this summer we don't have plane tickets yet and i've been <gasps> i've i have all sorts of alerts set up on my apps to try to figure out to get the cheapest flights because it's hard to get a family of 5 to europe yeah, especially in early july when it's peak season and you've got tour de france and the uh, french open and there's everything else going on in europe at that time so it's just it's not going to be cheap to take a family of 5 to europe it's not And so part of me in my head was like, oh, man, is this a good idea? Like, maybe I shouldn't Mm -hmm. spend money this way. Like, I've got a plan for college and all these other things. And so I started to talk myself out of the trip Mm -hmm. because of the financials of it. And, yes, those are cumbersome. But at the same time, this weekend, I'm like, no, that's stupid. Like, Mm -hmm. this is going to be a a once-in-a-lifetime experience that will, I believe, impact them for the rest of their lives, not just in hopefully seeing something that makes them want to dream big, but also experiencing something as a family yeah in Paris and in we're gonna go to the French Alps and the Riviera and all these things that 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 I think will shape them forever like that would be that's a it's gonna be a priceless experience and and shape our family forever so why would I you know over whatever money not do that Mm -hmm. you know I've been dreaming about it for a year like why would I why would I not do that I already we already have tickets (laughs) <laughs> to the events that i want to go to anyway but it's the same kind of thing it's like yeah, why it like why not now like just do it yeah do the thing do the thing you've been thinking about
1: i say totally go you need to go
0: yeah you No, i believe go. that
1: like you know that yeah and you know that because if you don't do it it's like you put that on pause you put that goal on pause you're gonna be really bummed that you stupid. didn't do that with your family. it would yeah. be stupid yeah Don't you think there's, like, a lot of cages that we have in our minds? Like, all of us. All of us have cages we put ourselves into. Like, I can't do that because of this. And as long as you're not hurting somebody else, there's a will. Like, there's a way to do those things that you actually care about. So, a lot of cages. Well,
0: yeah, and I think the thing about those cages that... Is difficult is that they don't often present as cages. <laughs> you know, cages are easy to oh. to run away from, right? But they often present as rational, thoughtful, methodical behavior. Yeah. You know, somebody would say, Yes, Chris, financially, that wouldn't be the best way to spend your money that you'll never get back. You should instead invest that in a college fund for your kids so that in fifteen years your daughter can have, you know, money for college or whatever yeah. like it's and that somebody could look at that and say well the, of course if you made that choice saving instead of spending then somebody would say yeah that's a rational decision I'm not going to beat myself up over that and so and and by the way some people may make that decision and that's okay for them but I think oftentimes we we wrap safe decisions mm-hmm. in logic Mm-hmm. That feels reasonable, doesn't feel like a cage, yeah, but that does limit us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's where you get danger, especially I think as it relates to some of these personal goals that we have. It's yeah. like, well, you know I was telling I've told this story before on the podcast, but five years ago, I told myself, you know in my head, I'm like, I'll never have another marathon p r huh. and the reason I told myself that was because I had three kids and I have a business and I coach a bunch of athletes and I don't have time and this and that and I'm getting older and I had these reasonable reasons to think you know what and plus by the way I love running for running's sake so it's okay not to have those goals anymore. I had this Mm -hmm. nicely wrapped story around my own athletic pursuits while at the same time deep down I knew I could run faster again if I just took the right steps and so and it took somebody telling me that it's like, hey, you're just telling yourself that's a that's a convenient story. <laughs> and ultimately, I figured that out. And since then, I've PR multiple times in the marathon and at every no distance. And so um, I think that's w- what happens is like we tell ourselves these convenient stories about why we shouldn't or can't. Yeah. And then we don't. Yeah. And while it doesn't have to come in the form of running across Australia, mm-hmm. it can come in a lot of different forms for a lot of different people. I think this is an example that can show others that if you can do something as extreme as run across Australia, self-supported with just a bike and your husband, then somebody else can go run that first marathon that they've been thinking about or go get that Boston qualifier that they've been dreaming about or go do whatever.
1: Definitely, I really like your perspective of sometimes the rational kind of blankets and, and enc- encapsulates these decisions that we make. Like we think that they're rational, we think we're making a careful choice, but at the same time, like that voice inside of you, that like call inside of you is still there. It ain't going anywhere. But convenience, a really good word. There's a lot of a lot of reasons and a lot of excuses we make to make things more convenient, but the dream doesn't die.
0: <laughs> Clearly, it hasn't no, for you. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, what happens if you fail?
1: Mm, it's okay. You learn. Have you thought about that? Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. Yeah, definitely. And um,
0: does it matter? Does it matter? Yeah. If um, you fail, if you make it or not.
1: I don't even know what failure means anymore. Like, I. It's been you know this process has been long in my book, relatively speaking, and so. I am going to be so damn happy if I just get there. Yeah. Like, if I can get there and do one day, I'm going to be so happy. Like, if you can just start. If I can just start. Yeah. If I can just start. And just, I just, one foot in front of the other. Like, I I've, I, will tell you the truth. It might sound, so, call it something. But, like, I feel like I've come to terms with failure it's fine it's a beautiful thing actually like i actually believe it's a gift like i am going to grow and i'm growing to learn if i quote unquote fail and failure might just mean like it doesn't go as it as i expected right but it goes (laughs) yeah like i just want it to keep going yeah in however way and i think the point is just like to keep the stoke alive like to keep that That heart and that active, adventuresome mind intact and at heart and just keep trying things. And this is a big thing, so I'm okay if it fails. I hope it I hope I make it to the other end, but Yeah. Just embrace it. But it's interesting.
0: If you start you can't fail, maybe. If you just start, you can't fail.
1: I could get behind that. Yeah. If you give yourself permission to go forward with something that's important to you. In your heart. In wherever it resides. That is a win. A big win.
0: Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. So as we wrap. How can people follow Ooh. along? What's What What should people do to go check out the journey? Mm-hmm.
1: So. Okay. Uh, we got a website. If you want to follow along. And see progress. And see what it's like down under. We have a website. It's actually my name. It's katievisco.com.
2: Yep. And we'll, we'll link that
1: in the show notes. Oh cool. Great. And also there's links on my website for the Instagram. We're only on Instagram. The gram. gram. I mean, who knows how (laughs) we're gonna hopefully post a few times when we're down under because we don't think we're gonna have service much, but (laughs) there's gonna be a lot of sharing before and after and hopefully some during. We just really wanna I just really wanna connect with people. Like email me, write me a letter, like tell me about the things that you dream of. I love that conversation. So the website mostly and I will put a plug out there like we are fundraising for this. We're not fundraising for a cause or for an organization. We're fundraising to make this happen. And we're putting some of our savings down, but we don't have enough. And because I need to do this now and I want to do this now cuz why wait? Um we are fundraising and we have about $6,000 more to fundraise in order to make this trip happen. So on the website there's a link to donate even if it's just a couple bucks. We'd really appreciate it. Cool.
0: Yeah. Well, we're rooting for you, Katie. Yeah. Thanks for joining the podcast. This has been a fascinating discussion.
1: Yes, agreed.
0: So here's to starting your journey, (laughs) and we'll be following along along the way. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. So there you go. Katie Visco, everyone. I will, of course, keep you updated on her journey as she starts this summer to travel or run across Australia. And hopefully that conversation inspired you to maybe take a leap of faith in a journey or dream that you've been contemplating. Or maybe if you're already on a journey, maybe give you a little bit more resolve and determination to help finish or fight through to the end on that journey. So hopefully you were inspired in one way or another. If you'd like to support Katie or follow along with Katie, I'll, of of course, include all of those details in the show notes. So check that out. Otherwise, as always, thanks for listening. And you can check me out on all of our various outlets, roguerunning.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.